0: Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and
1: choristers,
0: where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances,
1: and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and
0: beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco.
1: And I'm Giacomo Di Grigoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is In, in Unison. Unison.
0: This week we chat with Vince Peterson, the director of Choral Chameleon and the Empire City Men's Chorus, as well as the founder and brilliant mind behind the newly minted Greenhouse Music School. Vince is also the recipient of the Louis Botto Award for Innovative Action and Entrepreneurial Zeal from Chorus America, and in this episode, you'll hear why. So let's kick off today with a piece that aptly introduces us to Vince and Coral Chameleon, and that piece is Annunciation by Jeremy Howard Beck with text by Marie Howe. It invites us to think about what is yet to be, about what is difficult to imagine, and about what might be happening within us coming to life. So joining us today on In Unison is Vince Peterson, and Vince is a respected choral conductor, composer, arranger, and teacher of music here in the United States. His 20-year hybrid career spans the worlds of choral music, theater, sacred music, and music education. In 2008, Vince founded the vocal ensemble Choral Chameleon, which is based in New York City. Under his leadership, Choral Chameleon has premiered more than 150 works and has won critical acclaim in The New York Times, The New York Concert Review, The Examiner, and several other publications. In 2015, the ensemble was awarded with the prestigious ASCAP Chorus America Award for Adventurous Programming, and in 2017, the group was named the first vocal ensemble artist-in-residence at National Sawdust, an undisputed new music hub in New York. In addition to his work with Coral Chameleon, Vince also serves as artistic director of Empire City Men's Chorus, which he has recently ushered through its 25th anniversary season. Congratulations on that. Vince received his bachelor's in composition in uh, 2003 from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, studying with Conrad Souza and our good friend David Conti. And in 2007, he earned a double master's in both composition and choral conducting from Mann's College of Music, where he studied, studied under Mark Shapiro and David Loeb. That year, he was also awarded with the Singular Music Teachers League Award. And finally, in 2018, Vince was awarded the Louis Botto Award for Innovative Action and Entrepreneurial Zeal by Chorus America. Welcome to the show, Vince.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I really appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing here. Welcome, 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 Vince. We're so excited to have you. And we always kick off with a couple of icebreakers. So here's a couple for you. You strike me as somebody who uh, is, is quite introspective, self-aware, leads a life examined, life well examined. So I have to ask, if we were to cast the movie, the, the movie of your life, who would play you in the film? Who would you cast? And what would the soundtrack be like? Well, people always... Compare me to John Cusack.
2: Um, (laughs) They they always say that I look like John Cusack, or or he looks like me, or whatever. So it it might be like him, or you know somebody like that. If you're going for like a direct typecast, uh, you know look-alike, the soundtrack would be. It would have a lot of R and B, and soul in it. It would have a lot of like juxtaposition of like brightness and darkness together, um, a lot of flats right next to sharp based sonorities. It would have a heavy, heavy, heavy-handed rhythmic profile, and the groove would be right in the pocket. Um, that's what you'd hear. And then somewhere in the background, you would hear impressionist
1: string figures. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Look out, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> this is going to be the best soundtrack ever. Um, what? A couple more for you. Uh, you were, you're were you an SF native. Um, I and am. You, yes. Wh- which means that you have done lots of work um, with groups like Chanticleer and the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, which put you in the orbit of one of your mentors and a hero to many of us, Dr. Joseph Jennings. What's a pearl of wisdom Joe has shared with you over the years and or, girl, just dish. Tell us a Joe story. I remember him sort of
2: at this at, at, by turns teaching me how to not take myself so seriously, but also to take the work seriously at mm. the same time. Um, and he was tough. I mean, he was tough on me. And I didn't really appreciate it at the time, um, like most young people, you know. Uh, and I thought some of his methodologies were really extreme um but i was in awe of him always um and he always presented me with challenges um i'll tell you um i kind of you know Chanticleer was a household name for me growing up so i kind of i don't want to say idolized him but he seemed like somebody for me even when i was in conservatory and undergrad he seemed like somebody who would never be i'd never attained I would never get close to him and i was playing at metropolitan community church which was then down at the bottom of eureka street near 18th in the castro and i was playing the sunday night service which was a baptist methodist style neo-christian service with a large lgbt gospel choir and a whole lgbt band and and we were we were just playing a regular sunday night service. And we were rocking. I mean, we were like really grooving out. And um, the pastor said, Penny Nixon, who is, was a profound person to behold as well. She said, the one night I have to sing, you know, some sort of incantation solo in front of the choir and look who shows up. And she points up to the balcony and here's Joe um, having church, like City of Refuge style, with his hand in the air, you know, praise band style. And I thought, oh, sh- Shit. and I say shit, but oh shit, Joe <laughs> Joe is like listening to me, you know, um, and he came downstairs after the service and he walked up to me and he gave me the once over. Looked me up and down, and he goes, you Vince? And I'm like, yeah, are you Joe Jennings? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said to me, he goes, Rehearsal's Tuesday at 7.15. Don't be late. Oh! And I said, ex- I said excuse me? He said, been looking for a pianist. Be there Tuesday, 7.15. Don't be late. <laughs> and I said, well, and I, I, I said to him, well, don't you want me to, like, audition for you or something first? And he goes, child, you just did... <laughs> so, I mean, that was my audition to become the assistant director and pianist of
1: GGMC.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: I love it. That is, that is like quintessential Joe Jennings. That is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Zane, do you want to take the first question to j- jump in?
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Coral Chameleon. Let's go right into talking about Coral Chameleon. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization and, uh, and it's many multifaceted branches?
2: Yeah. Um, so Coral Chameleon is in its thirteenth year, which I think is so poetic. That year lucky year thirteen is the year of the pandemic. Uh, it's been interesting. I can't believe that it's been thirteen years um, since we started it. Um, the mission of Coral Chameleon is simple. It is to reinvent the art of choral music from every perspective, um, and that means from the singer's perspective, the listener, um, the 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 board member, uh, the volunteer, the composer, the student, uh, anybody who's in you know interacting with choral with music. Um, and you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff that we've learned over the years in our laboratory, <laughs> um, so to speak, that you know, at the heart of, of moving the choral uh, genre forward is interdisciplinary collaboration and finding ways for choral music to show up at the larger arts table and say, here's what we're bringing to the potluck. And what are you bringing to the potluck and and having a taste of what everybody has to offer. Um, And so I started Choral Chameleon because I was shocked to find that as I integrated myself into the community here in New York, when I moved here for grad school in 05, that there was truly a need for such a group in New York City, Um, and there are, you know, there are about 240 choirs, 240-plus choirs that are constituents in the New York Choral Consortium right now, so and there may be more, you know, choirs beyond that uh, in New York City, it's a huge place, right? Um, So, I just, that was particularly shocking to me, that there wasn't already somebody doing this, because what felt so instinctive or intuitive to me felt like, well, somebody here has obviously figured that out already and they're doing it. And I went looking for that and I didn't find it. And and so began um, a commitment that I made to myself, I guess, as a musician, but also to my broader community to find needs that, that needed to be filled and just fill them. Um, so, you know, I think of myself as the glue um, that holds different types of things together, different, different generations of people, different types of music, different types of thought, um, different opposing viewpoints, um, you know, together and and you know, being trained classically um, in conservatory for six years. um, I certainly witnessed around me you know, a lot of bias, um, a lot of systemic issues, um, a lot of one-sidedness, a lot of elitism. Um, and, you know, I got, I got tired of people that I trusted with my own musical development telling me that a certain kind of music, a certain genre of music is not substantial. It's not uh, substantive enough. It's not contrapuntal hunt- enough. It's not harmonically adventurous enough. And, it seemed to me like because music is so multi-dimensional that music can be complex in any one of these dimensions. It doesn't have to be in certain dimensions in order for it to be considered substantial. And there's room for all of us at the table.
0: Yeah, and speaking of combining different musical styles, in 2019, you collaborated with the Eri Yamamoto Jazz Trio on a recording of the Goshu Ondo Suite. To paraphrase the review in Downbeat Magazine, the concept is derived from the goshu ondo, a traditional dance melody from Shiga, Japan, a song-and-dance-filled celebration of generations past. Yamamoto wrote full-voiced melodic lines for Choral Chameleon, a 50-person choir, but managed to maintain a balance between the vocals and the superbly refined sound of her trio. Let's go ahead and hear a bit of that piece now.
2: So I went looking for the best singers that I could find, not just based on their raw singing ability or their musicianship, but on their familiarity with different styles and genre, and also, frankly, their openness um, to trying different things and to, to move seamlessly from one genre to the other programmatically without having to worry That they were going to complain about this or that it was going to tire them out vocally or that it was, you know, and I found quickly that that was a tall order. Um, And I took a lot of flack for it, too. And that's how I knew that I was doing something right, because I had people pushing back on me.
1: I want to ask a little bit about that, too, um, particularly the idea of um, embracing accountability, right? So in a time when many organizations are, are paralyzed in a, in a cycle of apathy, right? Particularly because of COVID right now, but um, also because like ADEI issues have always suffered from a cycle of apathy. How do you keep your organizations accountable to your mission? How do you keep yourself accountable to your mission? How do you think about that?
2: I think it takes a village um, to raise our children. Um, and I think that... Um, I think that the age of absolutism in music was over in 1750, and some people just didn't get the memo. Um, A conductor is not a dictator. Um, A conductor, as far as I'm concerned, is the scum under music's foot. Um, Conductor is the slave of music. The conductor answers to what is in the score, conductor if in their enthusiasm and in their aptitude and their musicianship and their commitment is so saturated with a some kind of a discovery or understanding or empathy um, for the composer and the human condition of that composer and the circumstances under which something was written, and the answers that are found right there in the notes then the singers can't help but be attracted to that and they can't help but be if you'll forgive the word you know um infected with this contagious enthusiasm you know to to serve the music
3: first um so but (laughs) um i
2: I rely on a lot of other people around me to help keep our organization running, um, and I do not you know I do not ever let that leave my sight or my my consciousness. Um, I think that um, there's times when one person has to drive the bus or the bus will crash, right and there's other times when Many voices are needed at the table, and it's a matter of knowing which is when, you know, and when to use which type of, of uh, leadership, right? Um, but I always believe that the best leaders are the best listeners um, as well. And, um, you know, I mean, in one sense, if you want to go strict bureaucracy here, I will go to the Presbyterian book, and I will say the fastest way to slow something down is to form a committee. Um, But sometimes um, a committee uh, is what's needed. And in the case of matters having to do with racial justice, um, fighting racial injustice, bringing people in off the margins of society, programming accountability. Um, I think that that is not something that I can speak to with any authority as a white cis man. Like I just can't. And so we did form a, a team um, across both choirs, across ECMC and Croal Chameleon, a unified team. Um, and this uh, we're calling the we're calling the team Equilibrium. And the idea is that they are the barometer um, for blind spot accountability for me. They meet um, completely confidentially. I'm not part of their meetings. um, And the team is comprised predominantly of a diverse cross-section of people from both choirs, male, female, and non-binary, identifying of multiple racial profiles um, and age groups. And they are the ones who have the authority to come to me and say, you know, uh, this is maybe not a good idea, you know, or here's something you may not be considering, um, or you know, um, even even so far as to say the program doesn't have enough music by, you know, by pop or you know, in, there's no women represented here or or what have you. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, that has that has become, to me, not a problem to solve, um, but an opportunity um, for learning.
1: I love that. And the reason reason I ask is because, um, I mean, obviously because of the importance of sort of leaning into action and knowing whether you're making a difference or not and how we keep ourselves accountable. But I love what you said about it, taking a village. And the three of us have had conversations in the past about how... Um, you know, the work we do as sister groups on opposite coast is pretty critical, right? On the West Coast, you've got GGMC and you've got IOC. And clearly those are mirrored by, by both of your groups in some ways with Coral Chameleon and GMC, of course. And, I, we talked and about I'm creating... proud to
2: tell the world that. I'm proud to say that to the world. I'm proud yes. to be in your company.
1: Same. And we've talked about the idea of creating this sort of Voltron of for you 80s kids out there, a Voltron of choral groups focused on new music, but like focused on this mission because, you know, think globally, act locally, and kind of knitting together a community is one of the reasons we're we're doing this podcast. I, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on, on how to do that? And how can we bring more like minded folk closer together?
2: Well, I mean, frankly, I think you're doing it. Um, with this podcast, number one, I think talking opens doors, right? What does the human rights campaign say? Talking opens doors. The first thing is to talk about it um, and to not be afraid to talk about it, not be afraid to have people disagree with you um, and, and start that conversation. Um, you know, I think that things aren't real in the world until we're talking about them. Um, when I started Coral Chameleon, the very first thing I did was I spent almost two years before even forming the group, going out to lunches and coffees and dinners with people and just talking about it. People who had mentored me to make it, you know, become a, a reality before I even formed it, uh, into what it into what it was. So that's why I'm so excited about what you're doing. Here. um I think that it's uh the most important move you guys have made the critical move uh, and i I, I want to continue to be a part of it as much as I can
1: we're excited for that too and I think in a moment of self-reflection for for us um one of the things that we we think about a lot is um you know look we're three white dudes talking about the three cis male white dudes we know that folks are missing from the conversation right right? Like, so how do we think about making it more? Like you sort of spoke a little bit about this, which is like, just, just talk to people, but there's the idea of the first thought and the second thought. And I'm interested in your thoughts about how to do this, right? Like your first thought is just, what is your impulse, your knee-jerk reaction? For example, you know, we're reaching out to to folks and, and sort of trying to think about how we make the guest list and the people that we talk to as diverse as we can. And the first stumbling block is like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're just talking to the people we know. And, you know, we don't really know people who are X or Y, right? That's a first thought. And that's bullshit, right? Like, because we know that you're capable of having yeah, a second thought, which is... We yeah.
2: have to call it bullshit and make the bullshit real. Like, that's BS. And it's not a judgment, it's accountability, right? By the yep. other, by the way, I would just throw in here really quick, uh, and and Zane, I would say that we have, and I saw this on the internet the other day, and I agree with it. We have conflated the term cancel culture with accountability.
1: The two mm. things
2: are not the same. No, they are not. Not the same thing at all. Um, so, yes. Uh, and I, I know where you're going with this. And let, let me just say that I can only speak as a white gay game. And I do not claim the experience. I do not claim the experience of any marginalized group, except that of the LGBTQ community of which I'm a part. Um, and I, and I do have to say that I'm committed to two things. Number one, I, as a human being first, before being a choir director, or a musician, a composer, anything else, as a human being first. I am committed to learning from those who are generous and willing enough to teach me from their own experience to build empathy. And I'm committed wholeheartedly to leveraging my male white privilege to bring people in off the margins and to give voice to the voiceless and put people in the limelight who have been disproportionately uh, disenfranchised
1: Speaking of just being a human being, like I think it reminds me of an anecdote, which was when I I, when I was five years old, I grew up in Richmond Hill, Queens. So like in the 80s, so a very different time. And when I was that young, I had no problem. Like I was just alone at home. And so when I wanted to make new friends, I rode my bike up and I saw there was a family of new kids. And I just was like, hi, I'm Giacomo. I want to make a new friend. And somehow as I've gotten older, I feel like that that's gotten harder. But that feels like it's at the root of a lot of this, which is like if you don't have the friends, make the new friends or authentically try to approach the ability to like find the relationships if they're missing. What's an example for you of a time when you have done something like that or reached out to someone where you're like, you know what, maybe I need to learn a new thing or I I need to understand something that I don't?
2: Well, um, when I was living in San Francisco, um, I had an extraordinary experience. Um, I had when I started college, I was college was not great for me. Um, my very first college teachers in music, w- which were not, by the way, in a San Francisco conservatory, they were another school um, that I started off at. And they told me flat out that I would never go anywhere as a musician, that I should find another career. But I was a terrible pianist. Um, my piano teacher told me I played piano as boring as the way I dress. Literally, that's what he said to me, um, that I should find another career. And I believed them. I was actually going to come back to San Francisco and go to mortuary school and become a funeral director. Um, And uh, it was Conrad Sousa and David Conti who plucked me out of that and saved me and said, don't listen to me. Come here, we're going to take care of this. And they they saved me. So when I came back to San Francisco, I had lost my church job. I'd given up my church job when I moved away to go to this other school, which I thought was going to be permanent, but it it wasn't. It ended up only being one semester. So it turned out that my best friend's neighbor had a job opening at his church and said, oh, do you play the organ? Well, you know, why don't you come try it out with us? And it turned out that the church was New Providence Baptist Church over in the Ingleside um, neighborhood in San Francisco. And this was a, you know, uh, 100% uh, Black ba- American Black Baptist Church. And I was, you know, the only white person there. I spent a year playing Hammond and B3 organ, uh, helping Brother Nate Branch on the piano lead the choirs. And they had five or six different choirs there. And uh, there was no sheet music, no charts, no chord changes, nothing. And he would just call the key out and start playing. And it was a swimmer drum. That was it. And that was a little bit of what it was like with, with Joe Jennings as well. You know, I mean, it was a lot of him looking at me and saying, figure it out. Figure it out. Sink or swim. Yeah, figure it out. So um, that gave me the opportunity to confront within myself a lot of the insecurities of, that I had, a lot of the behaviors and reactions that I had learned in my childhood, that I, the behaviors that I learned. Because we have to remember, we're not born with the fear of other people for any reason in us. It's a learned behavior. And we have a choice always. And one of the presidents of the former board presidents of Coral Chameleon, a very very strong woman who you know I love and who I'm greatly indebted to, she said to me, "In, in everything you do, you only have two choices: one is love, and the other is fear. That's it. Period." And um, you know, so what I was really moved by was how the people in this community at New Providence embraced me. I mean, really embraced me in a familial way, looking for me, you know, putting their arms around me, hugging me, kissing me, praying with me, you know, taking me under their wing, giving me their advice, you know, not holding back at all. And I thought, you know, that's what you call, you know, not returning evil
1: for evil. I have to wonder if that is at least, I mean, like kind of to step sideways into um, talking about some of the compositions that you've worked with. Coral Chameleon um, uh, works, you have a composer in residence uh, program. You also have a summer program for composers, which is amazing. And one of the folks you work with uh, was a, a woman named uh, Dale Trombore. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Dale. Yeah. Dale Trombore. And there's a piece she wrote called uh, What Are We Becoming? Um, which... Um, is a piece for, for choir and organ. And I think for a lot of folks, and I think maybe this is a thing that you might share for some people who have this kind of knee jerk reaction. In fact, Zane, you, you thought about this. This was your first um, impression when you, you heard the piece and looked at it, um, which was, you know, you, you hear choral music with organ. It's like a knee jerk reaction. You're, you're just like, it's very churchy. Right. And for lots of po- folks, that's a trigger, right? Churches are where you find the organs. Um, did, how do you struggle with the idea of sacred music with secular text? Is this just something that's completely new? Like, what was your thought process in, in, in working with Dale on this piece?
2: So, I, I, when I work with composers in residence in either choir, in ECMC or Choral Chameleon, um, I tend to give them a brief, you know? Um, and I will tell them what I'm looking for, specifically programmatically. It's a challenge that I give to them. It's not a free for all um, when we do the residency. Um, I Of course, it's a conversation, right? But it's, this is the program that I'm presenting and this is what I need. Something like this. Can you find texts that resonate? Or if you need me to suggest, I will. But I always leave it up to them first. Um, and I had gone to Dale. We've wanted to work together for a while, for a long time. And Dale's, you know, she's now very celebrated because she's based in LA, Los Angeles. Um, and um, I said, I want to write a program of secular works requiring organs. And the program is, was called Dave's Ex Machina. Hmm. God out of the machine, from the machine in whatever way you wanted to take that, you know. And the other piece on the program, was Rex Eisenberg's Messiah's False and True, which had been commissioned by my teacher, Mark Shapiro, here in New York originally, and premiered by Cantori, and then subsequently performed with his Cecilia Course um, of New York. And um, Rex is somebody that I met through those channels, and I met him in Paris. We were both studying in Paris uh, at IMA. And um, so Rex had already done this. Uh, it, kind of, I mean, it's, it's a secular work, it's not a sacred work, but it talks in the in the narrative about messianic figures of different types through the ages, not just in the sacred, you know, realm, but in the in the secular realm, in both positive and negative influences on people. Um, and so I wanted Dale to write something that was for the other of the program. And uh, Dale has a rule, she works exclusively or almost exclusively with the text uh, of female uh, writers. Um, And she came back to me with this poem. "Um, What are we becoming? And my jaw was on the floor. I thought, Oh, my. Oh, my God, like, this is this is it. Like she hit it right on the head immediately. And then she wrote this, um, this two-part piece, this diptych, which is kind of like a question and an answer, you know, kind of antecedent consequent type of thing. It's up and a down. And it's a if a choral piece could be a painting, like really experienced the way that we work our, our eyes through a painting, that's what she did. It, it's a choral painting with two kind of lenses or angles to view it. And um, the piece begs us to look inside first.
0: Let's go ahead and hear some of Dale Trumbor's self-reflective piece, What Are We Becoming?
2: I want choral music to be a mirror that shows the listener a picture of themselves, you know, and and the listener's pictures of themselves. And sometimes what they see and hear are not going to be things that they like. And sometimes they are going to be things that they like. Um, But either way, there's function and value in that.
0: So there was another piece <clears throat> that you guys premiered um by uh Yang Fan Two, I believe. And the piece is I'm probably gonna mispronounce this, but Qing Yi. Is yes, that right? Qingyi. Um, yeah. Qingyi. yeah.
3: Um,
0: and, and just for our listeners, just a quick uh, explanation. So the Qing Yi are the prima donnas or the leading ladies of Chinese traditional opera and their roles showcase colorful female characters from diverse backgrounds. They could be rich, poor, young, middle-aged. Uh, whatever um, but the the hallmark of the singing of that particular character is this like really piercing vocal quality, these kind of high-pitched nasally tones. And so you just made this uh, reference to the fact that you have the singers do gestures and things to help get the sound into their body. So what did it take to get that sound from your singers? Because I've had this experience too. IOC has done, we did a whole program of Chinese and Chinese American composers. We've done other pieces from different parts of the world where the singing style is not what we consider that you know, precious Western classical style of singing and getting the singers to really embrace that and to produce that sound in a convincing and in a really like, you know, uh, moving way is difficult. And so I wonder if you can share with us, you know, how how that worked out for you and, and what your tactics were.
2: So that was done during the Institute. Um, Yang Fan was a student at our Institute. Um, She's here in New York now, uh, mm-hmm. studying at Juilliard, which I am thrilled about having her closer to me here. Um, so that piece was prepared and learned, you know, and, and re- you know, what you hear and see on the recording, you know, on YouTube was done in um, a, a grand total of maybe, I don't know, two to three hours of rehearsal wow um now part of that was that the soloist annie who is you know one of our singers in the ensemble and choral chameleon she got on the phone with young fun's mom um, who is an expert in this and had a long conversation with her over the phone about how to do this um as a soloist and it's apparently something that even um excuse me it's, it's something that apparently even um, native speakers of Mandarin, Cantonese, or Fujinese uh, have struggled struggle with, you know, um, because the, the vowel sounds in the singing are not even akin to the spoken version of the language mm. in, in, in some ways, in some ways. Um, also very heavy on the voice. I would classify it as an extended technique, you know, even though it may not technically be an extended technique, it, I would classify it as something that requires more exertion and vanity. Um And um, yeah, um, I, I think that the thing that I love about that piece is that it, it's a narrative piece that tells a story. So again, you know, we're we're, ta- we're getting taken to the Chinese opera. You know, um,
0: let's go. So let's hear some of those prima donnas at the Chinese opera in Yang Fan Chu's piece performed by Choral Chameleon during the 2018 Summer Institute.
2: Here's the thing, when she started the piece in the Institute, the way that it works is that she she came with a draft or parts of something and then, you know, we saw the piece develop in front of our minds. So it wasn't like we didn't know the piece at all by the time we started to actually rehearse it in earnest, to record it and perform it. We'd seen it change and develop and it had been done in consultation with the singers in the group, so the piece got workshopped, essentially. Um, and uh, you know, Yang Fun was under the guidance of one of our composition teachers uh, during that time, and uh, you know, and we were with her every step of the way, which allowed her this safe space to take risks and do things like that without having to worry about it. And I think that's the magic of the institute is that it's a safe space free of judgment you can write whatever you want you know and it's either going to work or it's not going to work right but you're not going to get you know your ass handed to you the way you would in a school in front of people you're not going to get humiliated
3: mm. you know
2: and embarrassed um because that is not an effective teaching
1: speaking so. of speaking of teaching um want to shift gears a little bit again um, into an initiative that you have launched, uh, uh, I think, as yet another thing, because you are one of the most prolific people. Jesus, of course, you don't have time to watch (laughs) TV. Maybe you a stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've you've launched a a new initiative called Greenhouse Music. Um, Tell us a little bit about this new school that you're launching, because I think what you just said about needing that safe space and a way for people to learn that doesn't feel judgmental feels so important. Is that where greenhouse music came from?
0: And was it a natural extension from the Institute?
2: So I feel like, um, you know, the Choral Chameleon Institute is really about evolving choral music and choral musicians, the choral composers and conductors um, specifically.
0: Right. Can you give our audience just a quick rundown of what the Institute is exactly? The Institute
2: is an eight-day intensive think tank that happens once or twice a year here in New York City. And the usually there's anywhere from 12 to 14 composers who come from all over the world. We've had composers from five different continents um, from, uh, over the last 10 years. And we'll usually have three or four conductors. And the composers get access to 16 Fully paid professional singers as their lab choir for these eight days, and the choir reads every draft that the composer puts in, and gives direct feedback with no intermediaries. So the singer is talking directly to the composer. This is what it feels like to sing this. This is what it feels like in my body to receive your work. And you know, um, there's a great formula that I have sort of crafted. Or feedback, so that even if somebody's not prone to teaching, you know, not everybody's into teaching, you know what I mean? So it gives them a formula that they can juxtapose commendation with recommendation and say, you know, here's something that's really good in front of me, and I think that it'd be better if we tried this, or let me show you, or let me, you know. But there's never even the slightest hint of anger, of judgment, of frustration of and that is a hard and fast rule and they know everybody knows that that kind of stuff is not tolerated in that that area so it's a safe space uh so what's happening is um it's eight days some of them come with a draft some of them come with nothing Mm -hmm. you know uh and they get composition lessons every day for the eight days uh, and they're writing. Uh, and we offer a few master classes just to stimulate thinking on different topics, and they're taking intensive ear training coursework in the traditional French conservatory style every day. Wow.
3: Um,
2: so it's an eight-day intensive experience, and you know, you really can't schedule other things during that time. The choir comes in three days in, then they come in five days in, then they're in seven and eight days in. So uh, you know, and the composer will make the first draft and it might be four bars or it might be what they think is a finished piece, right? The choir reads it, they go back, they do a revision. The choir comes back and reads that again. They go back, they do another revision. The choir comes back and reads that again. So it, it's, a, it's really like nothing else. I mean, it's, the experience is not like anything else out there.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: and it's made it a very important thing. You know, um, so now, as I have gotten into this, you know, we've been doing this for, you know, 10 years and 13 years, coral chameleon, 15 years next year. Um, You know, as I get older, and I'm going to be turning 40 this year, um, I think about, okay, now what, you know, like, what am I going to do this? Is this the only thing I'm going to do, you know, for the rest of my life? And I think that I've been really moved by all of the movement that's happening around me in the world around um leveling the playing field about around flipping the script uh knocking down barriers to access mm-hmm. um, for as many people as possible you know again I'm, I'm doing what i've always done which is trying to find a gap to fill trying to find a need you know to fill and that's what greenhouse music is about um it's about uh providing a world-class conservatory level curriculum education in the techniques of music the same kind of thing that you would get at a major school any major school name it but at a significantly lower cost or for free um without the traditional structure of auditions and juries and you know uh, numerical grading um, and you know, in judgment, uh, in that way, uh, and with more flexibility for people who are um, also trying to live their lives and work jobs and hold down a, you know, the rent, pay the rent, and you know, I mean, because it, the way that the training works now historically is not conducive. It, it's music has always been somewhat of an elitist, highbrow, you know. Thing for people with money um, and and i had one too many students of color say to me oh i'll never get there i'll never do that that's not in the cards for me um, I, I just i i i've had enough of hearing students say you know that can't ever happen for me you know it's okay and, and i just no no the answer is no uh, we have to fix this so that's what greenhouse is about
1: so this is, I mean, it's, it's a relatively new program. And yeah. so you're probably at the stage where you're like sort of looking for, for traction, right? Yeah. What's your first milestone? Like when's the first moment that you'll feel like, yes, this is going the way I want. What, what are you looking forward to kind of, for that feedback to come back to you?
2: So we, we're going to run our first trimester, our first 12-week set of classes starting in April 10th. And um, you know it's small class sizes, so the numbers are not terribly difficult to fill. Um, the the cost of the class at face value is about half of what the leading online music school in the country charges for a similar course. Um, but the, you know, of course, we believe the quality is much better. Um, I think that, you know, when I just begin to hear an echo of the conversation happening around among people, we when we begin to have people question us, when we begin to have people dig into what we're doing and and question it and and really look at it and and talk about it, that will be sufficient for me to know that there's a dialogue, you know going going around it and that you know again talking is what what changes things mm. um, and also you know i live for those moments in my student lives when they realize something actually is possible for them um, that they thought wasn't possible for them and they have it you know an aha moment and i really hear something unfold or come out of them that I knew was in there, but that it took a lot of coaxing to get it out of them. Um, you know, that's, it. that's my reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Hmm.
1: I love that you think about it um, very much from the perspective of like, there's a need, there's a problem to solve here. There's something wrong about this that is just frustrating you. And to that end, you have also started a publishing company called Personage Press. <laughs> Why, what problem were you solving?
2: So, World Chameleon was sitting on 180 world premieres or 180 or or, either world or U.S. premieres or New York premieres. And um, there's such a wealth of music in there that is not being shared with the public. And, um, you know, I... Although I believe that the publishing industry is changing, um, and it's you know I, I don't know I I don't have a crystal ball I don't know where it's going. Um, I think that the free exchange of ideas is you know on the horizon uh, more than anything else. But but I but I do think that um, we wanted to be able to say if you write an excellent piece and you apply yourself during the institute, for example, there's an opportunity to get it published um, and shared with people. And there's a branding scheme around this that is reflective of this urban kind of you know, vibe in this forward-looking mm, you know uh, metropolitan worldly view um, with a lot of different types of people present um in it and um so you know personage is really about people it's about composers getting you know getting into dialogue in again there it is talking open stores right it, into dialogue with people um with their you know and in, in it's about rejecting the commonly accepted, lamentably accepted procedure of letting huge corporations tell us what to program and what level something is and what the worth is, and you know, letting them hold a monopoly um, on programming and continuing as we have done, the sin of the ages in music is suppressing the voices of the living composers um, and not realizing what we missed out on until long after um and so you know i just won't stand for it i just i i couldn't you know and and it's not that you know people refer to me as an entrepreneur and 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 i think in a way i am a music entrepreneur but i don't see it that way i really see myself as a human being who's observing things around me and just proposing solutions
0: yeah, well, speaking of, of music that's that serves a purpose, you know, that doesn't just exist for art's sake, um, maybe we can pivot a little bit and talk about Choral Chameleon's performances um, for the 2020 and 2021 season of Taste and Woven. Um, fascinating! So so cool. I shared that actually that video that you made with my board almost immediately upon coming across it because I was like, "Hey, let's talk about this." So, can you tell us a little bit about Taste and Woven, and maybe a little bit about um, where the idea came from?
2: So, Pearl Chameleon is known for creating intimate experiences with the audience. We like having our audience be a small group of people. We don't place value on having big sold out crowds of hundreds or thousands of people. That's not what makes us feel good. What makes us feel good is Mm connecting with our audience. And of course, that's the very thing that's taken away by this pandemic. And so we begin to think about what is a way that we can actually physically be in somebody's home with them, um, with the music, um, so that the experience of the choral music is multi-dimensional um just as the music itself is multi-dimensional and so i went to my friends the taste curators um cook and their styling um and they have a little company uh that they've started here in new york it's a wonderful thing what they do is they teach instinct you know to people you know going on a restaurant tour um developing a new product that is something that is going to, you know, improve your home life somehow that, you, that you're you not, you know, that you don't even know you need it, you know. And I said, well, what if we, you know, what if we revisited our taste concert from so many years ago? You know, Lish had designed these one-bite wonders. And the advantage of doing it in person then was that it was a composed bite, one bite, and the audience put it in their mouth on cue at a specific moment in the, you know, in the piece, so they had this like three-dimensional, four-dimensional experience of that chord or that harmony or whatever, and it was mind-blowing. And again, it was like one of these things where I was like, okay, I'm riding the two-wheel bike, right? Either this thing's going to crash and burn, and nobody's going to get it, and they'll be like, this is stupid, or they're going to be mind blown. right? And fortunately, it was the latter. Uh, but I was ready for it to fail. I was ready for it to fail. Not that I believed it was going to fail, but I was ready for that you know, and I was not afraid of it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I went back to Lish and I said, let's make a whole meal, right? Not just tasting, but like, let's do a four course meal and I will do a vignette of music for each course. So we'll do an appetizer and a drink, cocktail, and then we'll do a main course. We'll do a play on a fruit and cheese, you know, kind of course, and then we'll do a dessert. and we'll tell a story, you know, through food and and music. And so um, we got the idea that Lish would make instructional videos, just like you would see on the food channel, you know, whatever. And she would demonstrate how to do these things at home. We'd send them nice little menus and shopping lists. And so people could make this stuff at home easily, and they can eat it together with their family, the people they're quarantining with while they're listening to the music. And so the music got released at a certain time. Then we would all jump on Zoom together and sip the cocktail together, eat together, listen to the music live together in hi-fi audio and, um, you know, do this as a subscription. So we're three courses in. Um, Mm -hmm. We have one more course coming out. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be, a wonderful thing. Um, We've got, I don't know, on Patreon now we have, I don't know, 120 patrons or something who are following us and who are paying every month um, into the till um, for this. And um, so then we're not only giving them that, but that's our ensemble, our 12 voice group, all the pro people who are the core of the choir. And then the full chorus, which has about 50, and I might add 45 of our 52 or so regular members have stayed with us consistently through the entire pandemic. There's Fantastic. been no attrition beyond that, which I think is really good. Um, um, well, and frankly,
1: it's a testament probably to, to the organization and to you, just to put a little spiff there for you.
2: Well, you're hired. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, well, no. Uh, I, uh, so I thought, well, you know, uh, am I gonna make some kind of hokey comment about, you know, we're united, Um, we're together, you know, it's sort of like the way I feel about patriotism, you know, just a little, I feel awkward about it, but I wanna do it, but I don't know how, and I don't know how it resonates with me, you know? But Mm -hmm. the Woven concert um, came from Abby, Lish's wife. Um, Abby is a internationally known, and highly versed textile. Hmm. And I said, well, what, if, what if there were an artifact, like a rug, or a tapestry or something that's hand woven, and the threads in it represent us as humans who are far away from each other from all over the world, different colors, different textures, different backgrounds, but we are woven, intrinsically woven together. And we tell a choral music story about social justice. And at the end of this, we show the journey of this thing being made by an all woman owned businesses, all the way from the mountains of Columbia, all the way to the distribution. Um, these, these are being made as we speak and they're gonna be sent to the subscribers. Um, so when they have the last episode, they will be able to see, touch, feel this, this thing and hang it on their wall, put it in their home, whatever it is. And every time they look at it, they're going to think about how we got through this together. Every time.
1: I love that. It's like, it's like, who was it? Michael Tilson Thomas, I think, or somebody who said something like the, the, the music actually starts when the last note ends. Mm-hmm. And it's very much that, that this experience kind of continues after. And I think it's really beautiful
0: so how can uh, is there still room for people to subscribe and to get involved with the yeah. taste and woven pro- project and if so how can our listeners uh find out more and sign you up you can either to- go
2: to the coral chameleon patreon uh site or you go to the coral chameleon website and that will connect you to the Patreon or chameleon.com or just search for Coral chameleon on patreon and you'll find it i would also add that um empire city men's course is running a very successful patreon um, this year as well, uh, with a lot of extremely wonderful music. Um, I, I have to say this: we did a, a recording of my arrangement of Agile by Sting, um, as part of the, uh, which is it's a very jazz-oriented arrangement. It turned out that Sting heard it
3: um, oh,
2: yeah. himself, and he wrote he wrote us a note uh, <sighs> and said how moved he was by it. And I was like fangirling I was freaking the fuck out I was like did I just get a note from Sting? what you sure did you sure did (laughs) but um I don't want to make music that isn't going to do anything in the world
1: Um, Vince in our our last few minutes anything else you'd like to plug or anything that's some parting words uh, anything that's going on maybe where we can find you online
2: yep um, my website press.com, greenhousemusic.us, coralchameleon.com, EmpireCityMen'sChorus.org, Um and we were around, you know, and again, what we want to do is be helpful. Um, we want to be present. Um, and we want to help um, continue to sustain and illuminate the pathway forward for this thing that we all love, which is which is choral music. I would say to the listeners, you know with all my heart that what's happening to us in the world right now and but also specifically to us in choral music is that we're simply in a cocoon. Um, and uh, we've gone into the cocoon forcibly, obviously. we haven't had a choice. but the only thing that can happen in a cocoon is metamorphosis. And we are in that cocoon right now, but Providence, like that of this wonderful new podcast, um, that of the spirit of choral musicians, um, the the great human instrument, the choir, you know, the instrument made of people, um, is the embodiment of providence uh, in the world. And um, as as the Mexican proverb says, they tried to bury us they didn't know we were seeds. So my brothers, you know, just thank you for what you're doing and thank you to all of you who are listening and just know that your two choices are love and fear. That's it. That's all you get. And you decide at every juncture, which one to move from.
1: Well, back at you Vince. We love you too. And thank you so much for being a part of this today.
0: Yay. Well, what better way to end an episode than with a little sting? Here's Coral Chameleon performing Vince Peterson's jazz arrangement of Fragile. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast.
1: If you've got ideas for our podcast, please send us a message at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In
1: Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
0: You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at in Unison Pod.
1: And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section
0: mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. New Chorus Performance Folders, furnished by Chorus Dolores, who wonders how 50 folders just magically disappear every year. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.